Table of Contents. Title page copyright page dedication introduction. Week 1, recovering a sense of safety. Week 2, recovering a sense of identity. Week 3, recovering a sense of power. Week 4, recovering a sense of integrity. Week 5, recovering a sense of possibility. Week 6, recovering a sense of abundance. Week 7, recovering a sense of connection. Week 8, recovering a sense of strength. Week 9, recovering a sense of compassion. Week 10, recovering a sense of self-protection. Week 11, recovering a sense of autonomy. Week 12, recovering a sense of faith. Epilogue The Artist's Way Questions and Answers Creative Clusters Guide Appendix, Trail Mix Reading List Index About the Author. Also by Joya Cameron. Nonfiction. The Artist's Way The Artist's Way Morning Pages Journal The Artist's Dates Book, illustrated by Elizabeth Cameron, The Vein of Gold The Right to Write God Is No Laughing Matter. Supplies, A Troubleshooting Guide for Creative Difficulties, illustrated by Elizabeth Cameron. God is dog spelled backwards, illustrated by Elizabeth Cameron. Heart steps blessings transitions. Inspirations, meditations from the artist's way the writer's life, insights from the right oh right the artist's way at work, with Mark Bryan and Catherine Allen, money drunk, money sober, with Mark Bryan. Fiction. Popcorn, Hollywood stories. The Dark Room. Plays Public Lives the Animal in the Trees for Roses Love in the DMZ Avalon, a musical, Bloodlines the Medium at Large, a musical, Tinseltown, a musical, Normal, Nebraska, a musical. Poetry. Prayers for the Little Ones Prayers for the Nature Spirits The Quiet Animal This Earth, also an album with Tim Weeder. Feature film, as writer-director. God's Will. Most Archer slash Putnam books are available at special quantity discounts for bulk purchases for sales promotions, premiums, fundraising, and educational needs. Special books or book excerpts also can be created to fit specific needs. For details, write Putnam Special Markets, 375 Hudson Street, New York, New York 10014. Jeremy P. Tarcher slash Putnam a member of Penguin Putnam Incorporated. 375 Hudson Street, New York, New York 10014 World Wide Web. Penguinputnam.com. Copyright Copyright 1992-2002 by Joya Cameron. The Artist's Way is a registered trademark of Joya Cameron. All rights reserved. This book, or parts thereof, may not be reproduced in any form without permission. Published simultaneously in Canada. Library of Congress cataloging and publication data. Cameron, Joya. The Artist's Way, A Spiritual Path to Higher Creativity, Joya Cameron. P. Centimeters. The ISBN, 9781101174883I. Creative Ability and Problems, Exercises, etc. 2. Self-Actualization, Psychology, and Problems, Exercises, etc. 3. Creation, Literary, Artistic, etc. I. Title. BF 408.C175 1992-153.3 quote 5M-DC 2092-M-59066-SIP. This book is printed on acid-free paper. HTTP colon slash slash us dot My artist s gratitude list. At this point, well over a million people have contributed to the artist's way. It is truly a movement. There are, however, people without whom its safety and growth could not have occurred. I wish to thank some of them here. Jeremy Tarcher, for publishing my work, editing and caring for it so carefully with his characteristic brilliance and vision. 
Joelfoniness, for nurturing and guarding my body of work and husbanding not only my work but my deepest heart and truest dreams with clarity and strength. Mark Bryan, my gratitude for fighting to protect and defend my body of work, for his innovative and visionary thinking and capacity to understand and forgive our frequently and necessarily and divergent paths. My daughter, Dominica Cameron Scorsese, for sharing her mother and bearing the dual pressures of second-generation fame and first-rate talent. My gratitude for being always the kind of artist and person for whom I want to write good and useful books. With admiration for her shrewdness, tenderness, and sheer creative guts. Emma Lively, with gratitude for her visionary strength and her bold and daring conviction in her work both with my music and my books. A true friend, not only to my creativity but also to my dreams and desires. We met through the artist's way and my musical Avalon, and have enjoyed combining our artist's ways as musical collaborators over the last four years. Susan Schulman, with gratitude for her long years of devotion and commitment to the artist's way, with admiration for her vision and with humility for her courage throughout our parallel and difficult trials. With gratitude to Cat Black and Company, for holding a steady course as the artist's way, and I myself, grew in fits and starts. With gratitude to David Gruff, for his fine writing and thinking. To Johanna Tanny, for her graceful and acute editing. And to Sarah Carter, for her deft and careful assistance above and beyond. The Call of Duty M-all three of these creative souls. James Nave, for his loyalty and generosity as a long-term teaching partner. And to Tim Weir, a special thank you for his musical brilliance and creative and teaching partnering through multiple years and projects. Gratitude also to Mona Eichner and Claire Vaccaro, for their inspired and fastidious design work, remembering always that form follows function m-to make my books embody that artist's formula m-beauty is truth, and truth is beauty. Gratitude always, too, to my sister and frequent collaborator, fine artist and cartoonist Libby Cameron, whose wit and whimsy allowed me to create additional tools to support the artist's way. She well knows the truth that laughter is the best medicine, and helped me in administering creative first aid with a spoonful of sugar to make the medicine go down. My deepest thanks for her inspired work on the artist's date book, Supplies, Got His Dog Spelled Backwards, and the upcoming How Not to Make Art M-or anything else that really matters. My gratitude to Sonia Chiquette and Larry Lenergan, for their love and clarity of vision, as I labored to bring into fruition large dreams from small seeds. To Edmund Towell and Robert McDonald, for their creativity and chivalry, as they both protected and inspired me to do all forms of my creative work. Finally, I wish to thank those who have gone before me and shown me the path, most especially Joyita McCarthy, Max Showalter, John Newland, and all who hold a spiritual lantern to light our artist's way with their artistry and generosity. This source book is dedicated to Mark Bryan. Mark urged me to write it, helped shape it, and co-taught it. Without him it would not exist. Introduction to the 10th Anniversary Edition of the Artist's Way. Art is a spiritual transaction. Artists are visionaries. We routinely practice a form of faith, seeing clearly and moving toward a creative goal that shimmers in the distance and dash often visible to us, but invisible to those around us. Difficult, as it is to remember, it is our work that creates the market, not the market that creates our work. Art is an act of faith, and we practice practicing it. 
Sometimes we are called on pilgrimages on its behalf and, like many pilgrims, we doubt the call even, as we answer it. But answer we do. I am writing on a black lacquer Chinese desk that looks west across the Hudson River to America. I am on the far western shore of Manhattan, which is a country unto itself, and the one I am living in right now, working to cantilever musicals from page to stage. Manhattan is, where the singers are. Not to mention Broadway. I am here, because arts brought me here. Obedient, I came. Per capita, Manhattan may have a higher density of artists than anywhere else in America. In my Upper West Side neighborhood, cellos are, as frequent and as ungainly as cows in Iowa. They are part of the landscape here. Writing at a typewriter, looking out across the lights, I too am something Manhattan knows very well. I write melody on a piano ten blocks from where Richard Rogers, a gangly adolescent, climbed a short stoop to meet a short boy who became his longtime partner, Larry Hart. Together they dream through drought and flood. My apartment is on Riverside Drive. At this narrow end of the island, Broadway is a scant block behind my back, as I face west across the river, inky black now, as the sun sets in colored ribbons above it. It is a wide river, not only dark, and on a windy day and dash and there are many and dash the water is choppy and white-capped. Cherry red tugboats, as determined as beetles, push their prows into the waves, digging their way up and down the river, pushing long barges with their snouts. Manhattan is a seaport and dash and a landing for dreams. Manhattan teams with dreamers. All artists dream, and we arrive here. Carrying those dreams. Not all of us are dressed in black, still smoking cigarettes and drinking hard liquor, still living out the tawdry romance of hard knocks in tiny walk-up flats filled with hope and roaches in neighborhoods so bad that the rats have moved on. No, just like the roaches, the artists are everywhere here, tenements to penthouses m-my own building has not only me with my piano and typewriter but also an opera singer who trills in the inner canyons like a lark ascending. The neighborhood waiters are often m-not always m-actors, and the particularly pretty duck-footed neighborhood girls do dance, although you wouldn't imagine their grace from their web-footed walks. I drank a cup of tea at Edgar's Cafe this afternoon, the cafe named for Edgar Allan Poe, who lived down here and died farther uptown, all the way in the Bronx. I've looked up into Leonard Bernstein's ground floor windows at the Dakota, and gone a little numb each time I pass the arched entryway, where John Lennon was shot. In this apartment, I am a scant block from Duke Ellington's haunts, and there's a street named after him too. Manhattan is a town full of ghosts. Creative power M-and powers M-course through its vertical canyons. It was in Manhattan that I first began teaching the artist's way. Like all artists M-like all of us, if we listen M-I experience inspiration. I was called to teach and I answered that call somewhat grudgingly. What about my art? I wondered. I had not yet learned that we do tend to practice what we preach, that in unblocking others I would unblock myself, and that, like all artists, I would thrive more easily with some companionship, with kindred souls making kindred leaps of faith. Called to teach, I could not imagine the good teaching would bring to me and, through me, to others. In 1978 I began teaching artists how to unblock and get back on their feet after a creative injury. I shared with them the tools I had learned through my own creative practice. I kept it all, as easy and gentle, as I could. Remember, there is a creative energy that wants to express itself through you, don't judge the work or yourself. You can sort it out later, 
Let God work through you, I told them. My tools were simple and my students were few. Both tools and number of students grew steadily and hugely for the next 10 years. At the beginning and, for the most part, always, my students were chiefly blocked or injured artists and dash painters, poets, potters, writers, filmmakers, actors, and those who simply wished to be anything more creative in their personal lives or in any of the arts. I kept things simple, because they really were. Creativity is like crabgrass and dash it springs back with the simplest bit of care. I taught people how to bring their creative spirit the simple nutrients and nurturance they needed to keep it fed. People responded by making books, films, paintings, photographs, and much, much more. Word of mouth spread and my classes were easy to fill. In the meanwhile, I kept making my own art. I wrote plays. I wrote novels and movies. I did feature films, TV, and short stories. I wrote poetry, then performance art. From doing this work, I learned more creative tools, wrote more teaching essays, and, at the urging of my friend Mark Bryan, I got the essays assembled into teaching notes and then into a proper book. Mark and I stood elbow to elbow, printing and assembling the simple book that I could send out to people needing help. We mailed it in this form to perhaps a thousand people, who in turn photocopied and passed it on to their friends. We began to hear amazing stories of recovery, painters painting, actors acting, directors directing, and people with no declared art who began doing the art form they had always wished to do. We heard tales of sudden breakthroughs and slow awakenings. Jeremy P. Tarcher, the noted creativity and human potential publisher, read an early draft of the work and decided to publish it. Meanwhile, I divided the book into a 12-week course, each section dealing with some specific issue. This simple book was the distillate of 12 years of teaching and 20 years of making art in many forms. At first I called it Healing the Artist Within. Finally, after much thought, I decided to call it The Artist's Way. It explained and explored creativity as a spiritual issue. I began to witness my own miracles. I often traveled to teach, and at book signings and public venues people began to hand me CDs, books, videos, and letters conveying this thought, I used your tools and made this, thank you so much. My most frequent compliment was, your book changed my life, and I heard it from artists of little fame and great fame, in backwaters and on the international front lines. Using the tools, painters went from being blocked to winning large, juried exhibitions. Writers went from not writing to winning Emmy and Grammy awards for their work. I found myself humbled by the power of God, the great creator, to restore strength, vitality, and inspiration to individual. Creative paths, diverse and divergent. One woman, a blocked writer in her mid-fifties, became an award-winning playwright. A long-time sideman conceived and executed a bravura solo album. Long harbored dreams bloomed everywhere the great creator turned a gardening hand. I received thank yous that properly belonged to God. I was a spiritual conduit for the central spiritual fact that the great creator loved other artists and actively helped those who opened themselves to their creativity. Artist to artist, hand to hand, the artist's way began to spread. I heard about groups in the Panama jungle, in the outback, and at that other heart of darkness, the New York Times. Druid groups, Sufi groups, and Buddhist groups all found common ground in its simple creative precepts. 
The artist's way reached the Internet, forming groups or, as I call them, clusters that were like large melon patches sending feeders and tendrils out to form now a group in England, now in Germany, now Swiss Union contingent. Like life itself, the artist's way, which began to be called a movement, did indeed move onward tenaciously, and even voraciously. Artists helping other artists proliferated. Works of arts blossomed and careers took off and studied, surrounded by supportive friends. I was a willing witness. A hundred thousand people bought and used the book. Then two hundred, then a million, then more. We heard of, and occasionally helped initiate, the artist's way's use in hospitals, prisons, universities, human potential centers, and often among therapists, doctors, AIDS groups, and battered women's programs, not to mention fine arts studios theological programs, and music conservatories, and, of course, always passed hand-to-hand, mouth-to-mouth, heart-to-heart, artist-to-artist, as a form of first aid and gentle resuscitation. Like a miraculous garden, the artist's way continued to grow, grow, and grow. It is still growing. Just this morning I received in the mail a newly published book and a thank you. To date, the artist's way appears in nearly 20 languages and has been taught or recommended everywhere from the New York Times to the Smithsonian, from Eastland to elite music studios at Juilliard. Like AA, artist's way clusters have often gathered in church basements and healing centers, as well as in a thatched hut in Central America, and in a python-surrounded shack in Australia. Did I mention that many therapists run facilitated groups? They do. People heal, because creativity is healthy and dash and practicing it, they find their greater selves. And we are all greater than we can conceive. I wanted the artist's way to be free and, like the 12-step movement, largely leaderless and self-taught, growing through simplicity and lack of control, performing its expansion through an easy does yet series of natural, call it seasonal, self-evolving checks and balances. It will guard and guide and fix itself from abuses, ran my approach. As we passed the million mark, I feared for the necessary time and privacy to make my own art m-without which personal experience I could not continue to help others. How could I write a teaching book, if I had no fresh insights as to what to teach? Inch by inch, I retreated to the solitude of my personal creative laboratory and dash the still, quiet place within myself, where I could make art and learn from the making of it. Every piece of art I made taught me what to teach. Every year I worked taught me that creativity was open-ended. There was no upper limit, although some growth was slow. Faith was the required ingredient. I began to write dispatches, short, pointed books aimed at disarming the real and present dangers of trying to make a sane and gentle creative life. I wrote the right to write, supplies, and other, more homely and gentle guides such as the artist's date book, the artist's way morning pages journal, and my prayer books aimed at creating a sense of safety and well-being for those who tread the creative path in this world. I wished for people good cheer and good companions. Although art was a spiritual path, it could best be trod with fellow pilgrims. People listened. Meanwhile, artists' way books were mandatory on certain tour buses in the music scene, included, as savvy set decor on films, mailed off to and from grandmothers blooming brightly in their sturdy dotage, and served as a bridge for many successful artists to change creative habitats and genres. As, for myself, a novel, a short story collection, and three plays found firm footing amid my publishing 17 books and continuing, carefully, 
to both make art and teach. My students won prizes, and so did Hyatt Reader chose The Artist's Way as a masterpiece. The poetry album I made with Tim Weeder was selected for Best Original Score, and my teaching books continued to appear on bestseller and editor's choice lists throughout America and the world. Is it any wonder I often felt dazed and confused, overwhelmed by the velocity of people and events? It is one of the ironies of a celebrated writer's life that our natural inclination to sit alone behind a desk becomes more and more difficult to pursue. My own morning pages were an invaluable, continuing source of guidance. I was told both to seek solitude and to reach for the companionship of other artists who believed, as I did, that we were always led both by the great creator and by those who have gone before us, treading their artist's way and loving the same art forms we do. Higher powers stand ready to help us, if we ask. We must remain ready to ask, open-minded enough to be led, and willing to believe despite our bouts of disbelief. Creativity is an act of faith, and we must be faithful to that faith, willing to share it to help others, and to be helped in return. Outside my window, out over the Hudson, a very large bird is soaring. I have seen this bird for days now, sailing, sailing on the fierce winds that are the slipstream around this island. It is too large to be a hawk. It is not shaped like a gull. The Hudson Valley is full of eagles, higher up. I cannot believe this is one, but it seems to know exactly what it is, eagle. It doesn't tell its name. It wears it. Maybe, as artists, we are such birds, mistaken by ourselves and others for something else, riding the current of our dreams, hunting in the canyons of commerce for something we have seen from higher up. For artists, a wing and a prayer is routine operating procedure. We must trust our process, look beyond results. Artists throughout the centuries have spoken of inspiration, confiding that God spoke to them or angels did. In our age, such notions of art as a spiritual experience are seldom mentioned. And yet, the central experience of creativity is mystical. Opening our souls to what must be made, we meet our maker. Artists toil in cells all over Manhattan. We have a monk's devotion to our work M-dash and, like monks, some of us will be visited by visions and others will toil out our days knowing glory only at a distance, kneeling in the chapel but never receiving the visitation of a Tony, an Oscar, a National Book Award. And yet the still, small voice may speak as loud in us as in any. So we pray. Fame will come to some. Honor will visit all who work. As artists, we experience the fact that God is in the details. Making our art, we make artful lives. Making our art, we meet firsthand the hand of our creator. Introduction. When people ask me what I do, I usually answer, I'm a writer-director and I teach these creativity workshops. The last one interests them. How can you teach creativity, they want to know. Defiance fights with curiosity on their faces. I can't, I tell them. I teach people to let themselves be creative. Oh. You mean we are all creative? Now disbelief and hope battle it out. Yes. You really believe that? Yes. So what do you do? This book is what I do. For a decade now, I have taught a spiritual workshop aimed at freeing people's creativity. I have taught artists and non-artists, painters and filmmakers and homemakers and lawyers m-anyone interested in living more creatively through practicing an art, even more broadly, anyone interested in practicing the art of creative living. While using, teaching, and sharing tools I have found, devised, divined, and been handed, 
I have seen blocks dissolved and lives transformed by the simple process of engaging the Great Creator in discovering and recovering our creative powers. The Great Creator? That sounds like some Native American god. That sounds too Christian, too New Age, too stupid, simple-minded, threatening. I know. Think of it as an exercise in open-mindedness. Just think, okay, Great Creator, whatever that is, and keep reading. Allow yourself to experiment with the idea there might be a great creator and you might get some kind of use from it in freeing your own creativity. Because the artist's way is, in essence, a spiritual path, initiated and practiced through creativity, this book uses the word God. This may be volatile for some of you M-conjuring old, unworkable, unpleasant, or simply unbelievable ideas about God, as you were raised to understand him. Please be open-minded. The primary imagination I hold to be the living power. Samuel Taylor Coleridge. Man is asked to make of himself what he is supposed to become to fulfill his destiny. Paul Tillich. I myself do nothing. The Holy Spirit accomplishes all through me. William Blake. Remind yourself that to succeed in this course, no God concept is necessary. In fact, many of our commonly held God concepts get in the way. Do not allow semantics to become one more block for you. When the word God is used in these pages, you may substitute the thought good orderly direction or flow. What we are talking about is a creative energy. God is useful shorthand for many of us, but so is Goddess, Mind, Universe, Source, and Higher Power. The point is not what you named it. The point is that you try using it. For many of us, thinking of it as a form of spiritual electricity has been a very useful jumping-off place. By the simple, scientific approach of experimentation and observation, a workable connection with the flow of good orderly direction can easily be established. It is not the intent of these pages to engage in explaining, debating, or defining that flow. You do not need to understand electricity to use it. Do not call it God, unless that is comfortable, for you. There seems to be no need to name it, unless that name is a useful shorthand for what you experience. Do not pretend to believe, when you do not. If you remain forever an atheist, agnostic m-so be it. You will still be able to experience an altered life through working with these principles. I have worked artist to artist with potters, photographers, poets, screenwriters, dancers, novelists, actors, directors m-and with those who knew only what they dreamed to be or who only dreamed of being somehow more creative. I have seen blocked painters paint, broken poets speak in tongues, hauled and lame and maimed writers racing through final drafts. I have come to not only believe but know, no matter what your age or your light path, whether making art is your career or your hobby or your dream, it is not too late or too egotistical or too selfish or too silly to work on your creativity. One 50-year-old student who always wanted to write used these tools and emerged as a prize-winning playwright. A judge used these tools to fulfill his lifelong dreams of sculpting. Not all students become full-time artists as a result of the course. In fact, many full-time artists report that they have become more creatively rounded into full-time people. Through my own experience M-and that of countless others that I have shared M-I have come to believe that creativity is our true nature, that blocks are an unnatural thwarting of a process at once as normal and as miraculous as the blossoming of a flower at the end of a slender green stem. I have found this process of making spiritual contact to be both simple and straightforward.
if you are creatively blocked m dash and I believe all of us are to some extent m dash it is possible, even probable, that you can learn to create more freely through your willing use of the tools this book provides. Just as doing half a yoga stretches alters consciousness when all you are doing is stretching, doing the exercises in this book alters consciousness when all you are doing is writing and playing. Do these things and a breakthrough will follow m dash, whether you believe in it or not. Whether you call it a spiritual awakening or not. In short, the theory doesn't matter as much as the practice itself does. What you are doing is creating pathways in your consciousness through which the creative forces can operate. Once you agree to clearing these pathways, your creativity emerges. In a sense, your creativity is like your blood. Just as blood is a fact of your physical body and nothing you invented, creativity is a fact of your spiritual body and nothing that you must invent. My own journey. I began teaching the creativity workshops in New York. I taught them, because I was told to teach them. One minute I was walking in the West Village on a cobblestone street with beautiful afternoon light. The next minute I suddenly knew that I should begin teaching people, groups of people, how to unblock. Maybe it was a wish exhaled on somebody else's walk. Certainly Greenwich Village must contain a greater density of artists m-blocked and otherwise m-than nearly any place else in America. I need to unblock, someone may have breathed out. I know how to do it, I may have responded, picking up the cue. My life has always included strong internal directives. Marching orders, I call them. Why indeed must God be a noun? Why not ever the most active and dynamic of all? Mary Daly Theologian. In the brush doing what it's doing, it will stumble on what one couldn't do by oneself. Robert Motherwell. In any case, I suddenly knew that I did know how to unblock people and that I was meant to do so, starting then and there with the lessons I myself had learned. Where did the lessons come from? In 1978, in January, I stopped drinking. I had never thought drinking made me a writer, but now I suddenly thought not drinking might make me stop. In my mind, drinking and writing went together like, well, scotch and soda. For me, the trick was always getting past the fear and onto the page. I was playing beat the clock m-dash trying to write, before the booze closed in like fog and my window of creativity was blocked again. By the time I was 30 and abruptly sober, I had an office on the Paramount lot and had made a whole career out of that kind of creativity. Creative in spasms. Creative, as an act of will and ego. Creative on behalf of others. Creative, yes, but in spurts, like blood from a severed carotid artery. A decade of writing and all I knew was how to make these headlong dashes and hurl myself, against all odds, at the wall of whatever I was writing. If creativity was spiritual in any sense, it was only in its resemblance to a crucifixion. I fell upon the thorns of prose. I bled. If I could have continued writing the old, painful way, I would certainly still be doing it. The week I got sober, I had two national magazine pieces out, a newly minted feature script, and an alcohol problem I could not handle any longer. I told myself that, if sobriety meant no creativity I did not want to be sober. Yet I recognized that drinking would kill me and the creativity. I needed to learn to write sober dash or else give up writing entirely. Necessity, not virtual, was the beginning of my spirituality. I was forced to find a new creative path. And that is, where my lessons began.
I learned to turn my creativity over to the only God I could believe in, the God of creativity, the life force Dylan Thomas called the force that through the green fuse drives the flower. I learned to get out of the way and let that creative force work through me. I learned to just show up at the page and write down what I heard. Writing became more like eavesdropping and less like inventing a nuclear bomb. It wasn't so tricky, and it didn't blow up on me anymore. I didn't have to be in the mood. I didn't have to take my emotional temperature to see if inspiration was pending. I simply wrote. No negotiations. Good, bad. None of my business. I wasn't doing it. By resigning as the self-conscious author, I wrote freely. In retrospect, I am astounded I could let go of the drama of being a suffering artist. Nothing dies harder than a bad idea. And few ideas are worse than the ones we have about art. We can charge so many things off to our suffering artist identity, drunkenness, promiscuity, fiscal problems, a certain ruthlessness or self-destructiveness in matters of the heart. We all know how broke crazy promiscuous and reliable artists are. And if they don't have to be, then what's my excuse? The idea that I could be sane, sober, and creative terrified me, implying, as it did, the possibility of personal accountability. You mean, if I have these gifts, I'm supposed to use them? Yes. Providentially, I was sent another block writer to work with M-Dash and on M-Dash at this time. I began to teach him what I was learning. Get out of the way. Let it work through you. Accumulate pages, not judgments. He, too, began to unblock. Now there were two of us. Soon I had another victim, this one a painter. The tools worked for visual artists, too. This was very exciting to me. In my grander moments, I imagined I was turning into a creative cartographer, mapping a way out of confusion for myself and for whoever wanted to follow. I never planned to become a teacher. I was only angry I'd never had a teacher myself. Why did I have to learn what I learned the way I learned it, all by trial and error, all by walking into walls? We artists should be more teachable, I thought. Shortcuts and hazards of the trail could be flagged. These were the thoughts that ended with me, as I took my afternoon walks and dash enjoying the light off the Hudson, plotting what I would write next. Enter the marching orders, I was to teach. Within a week, I was offered a teaching position and space at the New York Feminist Art Institute M-Which I had never heard of my first class M-Blocked painters, novelists, poets, and filmmakers M-Assembled itself. I began teaching them the lessons that are now in this book. Since that class there have been many others, and many more lessons as well. The position of the artist is humble. He is essentially a channel. Pete Mondrian. God must become an activity in our consciousness. Joel S. Goldsmith. The artist's way began, as informal class notes mandated by my partner, Mark Bryan. As word of mouth spread, I began mailing out packets of materials. A peripatetic Jungian, John Giannini, spread word of the techniques, wherever he lectured M-seemingly everywhere. Requests for materials always followed. Next, the Creation Spirituality Network got word of the work, and people wrote in from Dubuque, British Columbia, Indiana. Students materialized all over the globe. I am in Switzerland with the State Department. Please send me, so I did. The packets expanded and the number of students expanded. Finally, as the result of some very pointed urging from Mark M. Write it all down. You can help a lot of people. 
it should be a book and I began formally to assemble my thoughts. I wrote and Mark, who was by this time my co-teacher and taskmaster, told me what I had left out. I wrote more and Mark told me what I had still left out. He reminded me that I had seen plenty of miracles to support my theories and urged me to include those, too. I put on the page what I had been putting into practice for a decade. The resulting pages emerged as a blueprint for do-it-yourself recovery. Like mouth-to-mouth resuscitation or the Hemlich maneuver, the tools in this book are intended as lifesavers. Please use them and pass them on. Many times, I've heard words to this effect, before I took your class, I was completely separate from my creativity. The years of bitterness and loss had taken their toll. Then, gradually, the miracle started to happen. I have gone back to school to get my degree in theater, I'm auditioning for the first time in years, I'm writing on a steady basis and and, most important of all, I finally feel comfortable calling myself an artist. I doubt I can convey to you the feeling of the miraculous that I experience as a teacher, witnessing the before and after in the lives of students. Over the duration of the course, the sheer physical transformation can be startling, making me realize that the term enlightenment is a literal one. Students' faces often take on a glow, as they contact their creative energies. The same charged spiritual atmosphere that fills a great work of art can fill a creativity class. In a sense, as we are creative beings, our lives become our work of art. Spiritual Electricity The Basic Principles For most of us, the idea that the Creator encourages creativity is a radical thought. We tend to think, or at least fear, that creative dreams are egotistical, something that God wouldn't approve of for us. After all, our creative artist is an inner youngster and prone to childish thinking. If our mom or dad expressed doubt or disapproval for our creative dreams, we may project that same attitude onto a parental god. This thinking must be undone. What we are talking about is an induced m-or invited m-spiritual experience. I refer to this process as spiritual chiropractic. We undertake certain spiritual exercises to achieve alignment with the creative energy of the universe. If you think of the universe as a vast electrical sea in which you are immersed and from which you are formed, opening to your creativity changes you from something bobbing in that sea to a more fully functioning, more conscious, more cooperative part of that ecosystem. As a teacher, I often sense the presence of something transcendent m-spiritual electricity, if you will m-and I have come to rely on it in transcending my own limitations. I take the phrase inspired teacher to be a quite literal compliment. A higher hand than just my own engages us. Christ said, wherever two or more are gathered together, there I am in your midst. The God of creativity seems to feel the same way. The music of this opera left square bracket Madame Butterfly right square bracket was dictated to me by God, I was merely instrumental in putting it on paper and communicating it to the public. Giacomo Puccini. Straight away the ideas flow in upon me, directly from God. Johannes Brahms. We must accept that this creative pulse within us is God's creative pulse itself. Joseph Chilton Pierce. It is the creative potential itself in human beings that is the image of God. Mary Daly. The heart of creativity is an experience of the mystical union, the heart of the mystical union is an experience of creativity. Those who speak in spiritual terms routinely refer to God, as the creator but seldom see creator, as the literal term for artist. I am suggesting you take the term creator quite literally. 
you are seeking to forge a creative alliance, artist to artist with the great creator. Accepting this concept can greatly expand your creative possibilities. As you work with the tools in this book, as you undertake the weekly tasks, many changes will be set in motion. Chief among these changes will be the triggering of synchronicity, we change and the universe furthers and expands that change. I have an irreverent shorthand for this that I keep taped to my writing desk, leap, and the net will appear. It is my experience both, as an artist, and as a teacher that, when we move out on faith into the act of creation, the universe is able to advance. It is a little like opening the gate at the top of a field irrigation system. Once we remove the blocks, the flow moves in. Again, I do not ask you to believe this. In order for this creative emergence to happen, you don't have to believe in God. I simply ask you to observe and note this process, as it unfolds. In effect, you will be midwiving and witnessing your own creative progression. Creativity is an experience m to my eye, a spiritual experience. It does not matter which way you think of it, creativity leading to spirituality or spirituality leading to creativity. In fact, I do not make a distinction between the two. In the face of such experience, the whole question of belief is rendered obsolete. As Carl Jung answered the question of belief late in his life, I don't believe, I know. The following spiritual principles are the bedrock on which creative recovery and discovery can be built. Read them through once a day, and keep an inner ear cocked for any shifts in attitudes or beliefs. Basic Principles 1. Creativity is the natural order of life. Life is energy, pure creative energy. 2. There is an underlying, indwelling creative force infusing all of life including ourselves. 3. When we open ourselves to our creativity, we open ourselves to the Creator's creativity within us and our lives. Four. We are, ourselves, creations. And we, in turn, are meant to continue creativity by being creative ourselves. 5. Creativity is God's gift to us. Using our creativity is our gift back to God. 6. The refusal to be creative is self-will and is counter to our true nature. 7. When we open ourselves to exploring our creativity, we open ourselves to God, good orderly direction. 8. As we open our creative channel to the Creator, many gentle but powerful changes are to be expected. 9. It is safe to open ourselves up to greater and greater creativity. 10. Our creative dreams and yearnings come from a divine source. As we move toward our dreams, we move toward our divinity. Every blade of grass has its angel that bends over it and whispers, Grow, grow. The Talmud. Great improvisers are like priests. They are thinking only of their God. Stephen Grappelli Musician. What we play is life. Louis Armstrong. Creativity is harnessing universality and making it flow through your eyes. Peter Kostenbaum. I paint not by sight but by faith. Faith gives you sight. Amos Ferguson. Why should we all use our creative power? Question mark. Because there is nothing that makes people so generous, joyful, lively, bold and compassionate, so indifferent to fighting and the accumulation of objects and money. Brenda Uland. How to use this book for your creative recovery. There are a number of ways to use this book. Most of all, I invite you to use it creatively. This section offers you a sort of roadmap through the process, with some specific ideas about how to proceed. 
Some students have done the course solo, others have formed circles to work through the book together. In the back of the book, you'll find guidelines about doing the work in groups. No matter which way you choose, the artist's way will work for you. First, you may want to glance through the book to get a sense of the territory covered. Reading the book through is not the same as using it. Each chapter includes essays, exercises, tasks, and a weekly check-in. Don't be daunted by the amount of work it seems to entail. Much of the work is really play, and the course takes little more than one hour a day. When I am formally teaching, I suggest students set a weekly schedule. For example, if you're going to work a Sunday to Sunday week, begin by reading the chapter of the week on Sunday night. After you've read the chapter, speed right through the exercises. The exercises in each week are critical. So are the morning pages and the artist date. More about these in the next chapter. You probably won't have time to complete all of the other tasks in any given week. Try to do about half. Know that the rest are there for use when you are able to get back to them. In choosing which half of the tasks to do, use two guidelines. Pick those that appeal to you and those you strongly resist. Leave the more neutral ones for later. Just remember, in choosing, that we often resist what we most need. In all, make a time commitment of about 7 to 10 hours a week and dash an hour a day, or slightly more, if you choose. This modest commitment to using the tools can yield tremendous results within the 12 weeks of the course. The same tools, used over a longer period, can alter the trajectory of a lifetime. In working with this book, remember that the artist's way is a spiral path. You will circle through some of the issues over and over, each time at a different level. There is no such thing as being done with an artistic life. Frustrations and rewards exist at all levels on the path. Our aim here is to find the trail, establish our footing, and begin the climb. The creative vistas that open will quickly excite you. What to expect? Many of us wish we were more creative. Many of us sense we are more creative, but unable to effectively tap that creativity. Our dreams elude us. Our lives feel somehow flat. Often, we have great ideas, wonderful dreams, but are unable to actualize them for ourselves. Sometimes we have specific creative longings we would love to be able to fulfill and dash learning to play the piano, painting, taking an acting class, or writing. Sometimes our goal is more diffuse. We hunger for what might be called creative living and an expanded sense of creativity in our business lives, in sharing with our children, our spouse, our friends. While there is no quick fix for instant, pain-free creativity, creative recovery, or discovery, is a teachable, trackable spiritual process. Each of us is complex and highly individual, yet there are common recognizable denominators to the creative recovery process. Working with this process, I see a certain amount of defiance and giddiness in the first few weeks. This entry stage is followed closely by explosive anger in the course's midsection. The anger is followed by grief, then alternating waves of resistance and hope. This peaks and valleys phase of growth becomes a series of expansions and contractions, a birthing process in which students experience intense elation and defensive skepticism. The purpose of art is not a rarefied, intellectual distillate m-it is life, intensified, brilliant life. Elaine Arias Misson. This choppy growth phase is followed by a strong urge to abandon the process and return to life, as we know it. In other words, a bargaining period. 
people are often tempted to abandon the course at this point. I call this a creative U-turn. Recommitment to the process next triggers the free fall of a major ego surrender. Following this, the final phase of the course is characterized by a new sense of self marked by increased autonomy, resilience, expectancy, and excitement as well as by the capacity to make and execute concrete creative plans. What lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters, compared to what lies within us. Ralph Waldo Emerson If this sounds like a lot of emotional tumult, it is. When we engage in a creativity recovery, we enter into a withdrawal process from life, as we know it. Withdrawal is another way of saying detachment or non-attachment, which is emblematic of consistent work with any meditation practice. In movie terms, we slowly pull focus, lifting up and away from being embedded in our lives, until we attain an overview. This overview empowers us to make valid creative choices. Think of it as a journey with difficult, varied, and fascinating terrain. You are moving to higher ground. The fruit of your withdrawal is what you need to understand as a positive process, both painful and exhilarating. Many of us find that we have squandered our own creative energies by investing disproportionately in the lives, hopes, dreams, and plans of others. Their lives have obscured and deburred our own. As we consolidate a core through our withdrawal process, we become more able to articulate our own boundaries, dreams, and authentic goals. Our personal flexibility increases, while our malleability to the whims of others decreases. We experience a heightened sense of autonomy and possibility. Ordinarily, when we speak of withdrawal, we think of having a substance removed from us. We give up alcohol, drugs, sugar, fats, caffeine, nicotine M-dash and we suffer a withdrawal. It's useful to view creative withdrawal a little differently. We ourselves are the substance we withdraw to, not from, as we pull our overextended and misplaced creative energy back into our own core. We begin to excavate our buried dreams. This is a tricky process. Some of our dreams are very volatile, and the mere act of brushing them off sends an enormous surge of energy bolting through our denial system. Such grief. Such loss. Such pain. It is at this point in the recovery process that we make what Robert Bly calls a descent into ashes. We mourn the self we abandoned. We greet this self, as we might greet a lover at the end of a long and costly war. To effect a creative recovery, we must undergo a time of mourning. In dealing with the suicide of the nice self we have been making do with, we find a certain amount of grief to be essential. Our tears prepare the ground for our future growth. Without this creative moistening, we may remain barren. We must allow the bolt of pain to strike us. Remember, this is useful pain, lightning illuminates. How do you know, if you are creatively blocked? Jealousy is an excellent clue. Are there artists whom you resent? Do you tell yourself, I could do that, if only, do you tell yourself that, if only you took your creative potential seriously, you might, bullet stop telling yourself, it's too late. Bullet stop waiting, until you make enough money to do something you'd really love. Bullet stop telling yourself, it's just my ego, whenever you yearn for a more creative life. Bullet stop telling yourself that dreams don't matter, that they are only dreams and that you should be more sensible. Bullet stop fearing that your family and friends would think you crazy. Bullet stop telling yourself that creativity is a luxury and that you should be grateful for what you've got. 
as you learn to recognize, nurture, and protect your inner artist, you will be able to move beyond pain and creative constriction. You will learn ways to recognize and resolve fear, remove emotional scar tissue, and strengthen your confidence. Damaging old ideas about creativity will be explored and discarded. Working with this book, you will experience an intensive, guided encounter with your own creativity and dash your private villains, champions, wishes, fears, dreams, hopes, and triumphs. The experience will make you excited, depressed, angry, afraid, joyous, hopeful, and, ultimately, more free. The Basic Tools There are two pivotal tools in creative recovery, the morning pages and the artist date. A lasting creative awakening requires the consistent use of both. I like to introduce them both immediately, and at sufficient length to answer most of your questions. This chapter explains these tools carefully and in depth. Please read it with special care and begin the immediate use of both tools. The Morning Pages In order to retrieve your creativity, you need to find it. I ask you to do this by an apparently pointless process I call the Morning Pages. You will do the pages daily through all the weeks of the course and, I hope, much longer. I have been doing them for a decade now. I have students who have worked with them nearly that long and who would no more abandon them than breathing. Jenny, a writer-producer, credits the morning pages with inspiration for her recent screenplays and clarity in planning her network specials. I'm superstitious about them by now, she says. When I was editing my last special, I would get up at 5 a.m. to get them done, before I went into work. What are morning pages? Put simply, the morning pages are three pages of long handwriting, strictly stream of consciousness, oh, God, another morning. I have nothing to say. I need to wash the curtains. Did I get my laundry yesterday? Blah, 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 they might also, more ingloriously, be called brain drain, since that is one of their main functions. Words are a form of action, capable of influencing change. Ingrid Bendis. You need to claim the events of your life to make yourself yours. Anne Wilson Skeef. There is no wrong way to do morning pages. These daily morning meanderings are not meant to be art. Or even writing. I stress that point to reassure the non-writers working with this book. Writing is simply one of the tools. Pages aren't meant to be, simply, the act of moving the hand across the page and writing down whatever comes to mind. Nothing is too petty, too silly, too stupid, or too weird to be included. The morning pages are not supposed to sound smart and dash, although sometimes they might. Most times they won't, and nobody will ever know, except you. Nobody is allowed to read your morning pages, except you. And you shouldn't even read them yourself for the first eight weeks or so. Just write three pages, and stick them into an envelope. Or write three pages in a spiral notebook and don't leave back through. Just write three pages, and write three more pages the next day. September 30th, 1991. Over the weekend, for Dominica's biology project, she and I went bug hunting on the Rio Grande and Pot Creek. We collected water crawlies and butterflies. I made a crimson homemade butterfly net that was quite functional, although dragonflies eluded us to our dismay. We did not catch the tarantula strolling down the dirt road near our house. We just enjoyed spotting it. Although occasionally colorful, the morning pages are often negative, frequently fragmented, often self-pitying, repetitive, stilted or babby-ish, angry or bland and dash even silly sounding. Good. 
October 2nd, 1991. I am up and have had a headache and have taken aspirin and feel a little better, although still shaky. I may have that flu after all. I am getting to the bottom of a lot of unpacking and still no teapot from Laura whom I am sorely missing. What a heartbreak. All that angry, whiny, petty stuff that you write down in the morning stands between you and your creativity. Worrying about the job, the laundry. The funny knock in the car, the weird look in your lover's eye and dash this stuff eddies through our subconscious and muddies our days. Get it on the page. The morning pages are the primary tool of creative recovery. As blocked artists, we tend to criticize ourselves mercilessly. Even if we look like functioning artists to the world, we feel we never do enough and what we do isn't right. We are victims of our own internalized perfectionist, a nasty internal and eternal critic, the censor, who resides in our left brain and keeps up a constant stream of subversive remarks that are often disguised as the truth. The censor says wonderful things like, you call that writing? What a joke. You can't even punctuate. Hmm.